Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. And welcome to The Tonight Show. As a student food bank in UCC is forced to turn people away, having run out of food in just 50 minutes, and pensioners fear a winter of rising fuel costs, will next week's budget do anything to help tackle our escalating cost of living? The government confirms it will send representatives to the commemoration service for the centenary of partition in Armagh, an invitation that only two weeks ago President Michael D. Higgins refused. And later, Brenda Power, Mark Tai, and Christina Finn join us for our Week in Review. Let us know your thoughts on Twitter by using our hashtag TonightVMTV. Thousands of euros have been raised for the food bank in University College Cork today, shedding a light on the struggles of our students who already face rising fees and an accommodation crisis. I'm joined in studio by Fianna Fáilte D. Willie O'Dea, Fianna Gael TD Jennifer Carol McNeil and Sinn Féin's David Cullinan. But first we cross over to Skype where I'm joined by Communications and Engagement Officer for UCC Students' Union. That's Maeve Richardson. Maeve, you're very welcome along um, to the show tonight. Um, the food bank you've been running there in UCC, it's been up and running um, for the past two years, well, originally in 2019. <coughs> but tell us about the demand you're facing this year compared to when you first launched it. This year, we found so many students were returned to campus. And with the return to campus was the return of the, you know, the costs associated with returning to campus. Mostly we have found students are struggling to pay rent, even if they are working full time or even as many hours as they can part-time. Students are coming to us letting us know that they are experiencing extreme food insecurity and that food is lasting on their mind when they're trying to cover their college fees and their rent. So people joining those queues, and there are queues for food because you actually ran out after 50 minutes. Um, what are they telling you directly um, about being there? How do they feel about being in that position just starting back at college? The students have expressed a massive sense of shame and embarrassment, not only just because we're in Ireland in 2021, they're absolutely ashamed at this situation that we've come to. They're applying for hardship funds and everything, but they still can't make ends meet. Even after a second restock, within 50 minutes, we've run out of food. Even today, we had 19 more students visit our common room to get more food. And thank God for the students of UCC and local residents for donating more food and plenty of money. We are 100 euros off of 19,000 on our GoFundMe. We are extremely proud of our students. Yeah, tell us about that. You had to um, launch this GoFundMe page because people wished to donate. They saw what was happening. Um, and the response has been um, quite overwhelming on your part, you'd say. It's been absolutely overwhelming. It, like We launched this at half 10 last night. And within those 12 hours, we've reached our goal, nearly doubled our goal. 
it's been absolutely amazing. Staff have been so supportive. Students have been so supportive. People from far away. We've had people who were on Erasmus here 10 years ago who've reached out to ensure that this situation is resolved. Um, you are just representing one student union there in Cork, but would you say there's similar demand in colleges right around the country, Maeve? We've had other student unions express to us that they're experiencing similar issues and we will do everything to help our fellow student unions in helping them figure out the logistics of running their own food banks. This is a nationwide issue. This isn't just in Cork. The cost of living is shooting up everywhere and it cannot be escaped. So what would students in particular like to see uh, in the budget next week? I think outside of the budget and within the budget, realistically, we need rent freezes and rent caps. We also have the highest college fees in the EU, €3,000 a year. That is simply too much for the average student. We are locking out a massive portion of our population out of third level education. OK, Maeve Richardson um, with UCC, thanks for joining us tonight and bring us, bringing us right up to date on the situation there um, with your food bank. Best wishes with it. Thank you for highlighting the issue. We really appreciate it. And anyone can donate via our GoFundMe or they can come to our offices on College Road to donate food. OK, thank you for that, Maeve. I'd like to come to our panel now. You're all very welcome along this evening. Um, Jennifer, it's a chronic situation, isn't it? As Maeve was saying there, 2021, and we're seeing these scenes. It's the, yeah, I was really surprised to see it and really disappointed to see it. And the pressures that students are under, particularly this year, with the bed sharing, you know, the room sharing impact of COVID has made accommodation even more difficult than it already has been. Um, you know, the, the rooms have, can't be shared in the way that they had and so on. It just puts extra pressure on students at this time of the year. Is that still the situation year. now? That's, yeah, that, that's, so, so still, still very difficult. And so it just puts extra pressure. And it has also been, you know, the, the student accommodation thing in the first instance is so important. Like we have two applications in my constituency now for more student accommodation near campuses, IADT and near UCD. But the pressure really is that the best and be cheap way of doing that is freeing up more space on campus and there has been difficulties with universities around the country. I was out in DCU on Tuesday actually meeting students just to see how they were getting on in their first year and they were talking about the accommodation crisis in particular. Um, they, they, they weren't highlighting this, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying it, it isn't necessarily an issue of course but it just, they just didn't highlight it to me <coughs> but the accommodation pressures that they've been under and then of course there's been this other issue around the SUSE grant this year and just difficulties yeah. transitioning from the PUP into the SUSE and that has you know that has disrupted things a little bit as well but you know I was really, really surprised and disappointed to, to see this. I know that well, I, I there know are you, different... Yeah, sides, you've yeah. expressed surprise twice there on this, but how are you so surprised when they were teeing up this accommodation crisis, one, and then we have a cost of living issue now, which we know it's growing inflation, and there's been all this, these plenty of calls, and we've just heard it again from Maeve, for rent freezes to come into place, because it's not just on-campus accommodation there, it's right across the board. It's rentals in every city and every town across the country. Well, that's right, yes. And then the, and those accommodations and, and in those cities, approximately, you know, a lot of those are in rent pressure zones already, you know, and perhaps surprise is the wrong road. It just, I was genuinely taken aback by it. I was genuinely set aside by it, you know, because I mean, I, you know, that it is, it is, it is, it is such a, it is such a, it is such a shock. And clearly that's what I'm trying to reflect. Um, but there, there's an awful lot going on this year, but that doesn't make any difference if you're the individual student un under pressure. Now, I know Simon Harris today has, you know, pledged more money to the student assistance funds. I know there are different hardship funds. I know there's COVID-19 funds. I know there are, you know, all of the range of, I think there's 50 different support services in UCC for students. But, you know, the issue is today, and, you know, I think there, there, there's more to do on this, even, even, even after the measures announced today. Um, Willie, should there be a GoFundMe uh, page 
have to be set up in this instance? Like, I mean, Jennifer's talking about funds there uh, and money coming in from different places, but if that was the case, <clears> you wouldn't have a GoFundMe page having, having to raise money in order to help students feed themselves. Well, that would appear to be the situation in Cork. I represent a city which is a very large uh, third level student population and I engage with them quite a bit and uh, I haven't they haven't indicated to me that they have a similar type problem I, 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 I say part of that is due to the fact that there's a huge uh, amount of student accommodation uh, attached to the various colleges uh, we had UL students staying in hotels am I right yeah there's a short yeah, there is a shortage because as, as Jennifer mentioned the COVID situation a few that has been resolved now to the best of my knowledge but the, the difficulty here uh, is, of course, one of the main difficulties is rent, the, 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 the level of rent which students have to pay. Now, in my view, uh, that can't be solved overnight. That can only be solved ultimately by increasing the supply of rental properties. That's going to take some time. But there are a number of other things that could be done immediately in the budget, for example, next week. For example, uh, the eligibility levels for qualification for SUSE grants haven't been raised for quite some time. The rate of Susie Grants haven't <coughs> been raised for quite some time. Okay. And I think it's time to look at both of those now. And in, in addition to that, I do realise and I appreciate that Simon Harris has doubled the student support fund. But I, I think really, you know, in, in view of the cases I'm coming across, I think that there probably is a case for doubling it again. Okay, so student grants are the solution um, there. You know, your thoughts on this, David Conan, um, when we're seeing the food banks in our third level institutions <coughs> in order to... Um, feed students and get them through college. Uh, it's a very difficult situation, isn't it? Of course it is. It's heartbreaking. And listening to Jennifer and listening to Willie, you would hardly believe that both of them are in government together. And in fact, in fact over the last six years, both of them supported each other in terms of budgets. We've had a housing crisis for the last decade. We've been talking about it for years. It affects so many families and it also affects students in terms of student accommodation. Willie is right that we need more supply and we need more capacity. We have been screaming at this government for the last number of years to do something about the housing crisis, to make the investments which are necessary, to double capital investment in housing, yeah. but also to reduce rents. In our budget today, we mm. put forward a proposal to put one month's rent back into the pocket of renters, to give them a break through a refundable tax credit. They are the type of measures that need to be put in place to reduce the cost of living. I saw the package yesterday of students going to penny dinners in Cork. I was there on Monday. I met Katrina who ran the centre. It's absolutely amazing in 21st century Ireland that we have young students who have to go to places like penny dinners in Cork and then politicians expressing surprise when this has been something that has been building up mm. and building up because of the pressures in housing. What? I'm, not, I'm not expressing surprise. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised. not talking about Julie. Yeah, I mean, I've I, I, I just made the point that I don't see, I, don't, I haven't been, I, I engage a lot with the students in Limerick and they haven't made that case, to, they haven't made that particular case to me. There might be a particular problem in Cork because more, I, I suspect, and some of my family went to UCC and I suspect the problem down there is that uh, there's probably less uh, college type accommodation. It's probably more private accommodation. Uh, yeah. but what we haven't done is we haven't reduced we haven't reduced college fees. College fees went up. If you remember after the last uh, crash, they went up to three thousand euro. We proposed again that they would be reduced by five hundred euro this year in our alternative budget. So if you are serious about reducing the burden on young people going to college, they are the type of measures that you have to okay. put in place. And, and let's see what the government actually does on budget day. Okay. Um you know, the latest ESRI outlook, we've had very positive outlooks on the economy in recent days. The signs are positive, the tax take is up. 
But how does all, do these positive headlines, though, sit against the problem, the cost of living, the issue that pensioners are having, the issue that students are having, uh, the vulnerable in our society, and, you know, middle-income earners who are really going to feel the squeeze this winter in their energy bills? Mm. Well, look, I mean, obviously inflation is now become embedded in the system. Most of the economists tell us it's going to be a temporary phenomenon that it's going to phase out sometime early in 2022. I hope they're correct. And we're, 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 you know, we're betting on the fact that they're going to be correct. But in the meantime, we have to, naturally, we have to protect people who rely on social welfare, people who rely on, who live okay. off low-paid jobs. We have to protect them. For example, in social welfare, I mean, social welfare rates haven't been increased. <coughs> there have been increases, living alone allowance, child dependent allowance, etc. Social welfare rates haven't been increased for three years now. I think it's time Are for a hefty uplift. I, I would be hoping that they would be significantly increased, and that includes pensioners also. Now, so you say significantly increased. Well, no, the few, what do you, you mean by you, that? Well, well I, I don't know. I'm not privy to the budget. I'm not a member of the cabinet, as you may have noticed, I'm only a back pensioner. So I'm, I was, I'm advocating. I'm not hearing anything in particular. All I can tell you is what I'm advocating. I'm advocating a 10 euro increase. That's, what I, that's my proposal. I'm advocating that. Now, in addition to that, in relation to fuel poverty, one of the main mechanisms the government used to tackle fuel poverty is the fuel allowance. And what people, you know, what doesn't seem to have, have, have dawned on people yet is that there's a huge coterie of people on social welfare who don't qualify for the fuel allowance. So eligibility rules will have to be changed to incorporate those people. Okay. Uh, do you think that's enough, um, Jennifer? You know, that if we see rise in, in the area of social welfare, a fuel allowance for those who will be most affected by those fuel hikes, that that's going to go away towards easing this winter of discontent we're facing into? Um, I think it's important that we see a welfare package next week, but it's not just people on welfare who are facing cost of living pressures, as, as, as Willie has alluded to. You know, there's a lot of people on middle incomes where, you know, inflation has gone up very considerably. We've had, A, a lot of, of savings uh, which are coming out into the economy now as people are coming out through COVID. And there has just been this quantitative easing which has impacted inflation as well. We need to see tax indexation for people on middle income. So what that means is that they go into the, the higher tax rate at a later stage, at a higher salary, to try and keep more net income. That's really important for the cost of living, and that's what I'm hoping to see as well as a welfare package you, next would week. Would you be in favour of that, David Cullinan? I'm in favour of making sure that we invest in public services, and I'm making sure that what's needed to be done in this budget is done. So this government has run out of ideas and solutions in so many different areas. We've just spoken about the housing crisis. We have a crisis in healthcare, 900,000 people, almost a million people now on some form of health waiting list. So we need to invest in core uh, services in health, but also in childcare. We have, again, a crisis in childcare where many families can't afford to pay childcare. So in our budget, what we've proposed is additional investment in health, additional investment in housing to build the homes that people need, reduce rent, uh, but also reduce childcare by two thirds over two years, and also a package of measures to support people with rising energy costs. What the two people let to my right want to do is increase the carbon tax, which will make it even more expensive for people. So if we're serious about reducing the cost of living, there is an opportunity that the government will have next week in their budget. We produced a budget for change yeah. because we're the party that will bring about the changes that, that, that are needed. I'll let, you in, I'll let you in one minute. Well, I want to just ask you, um, David, just on the point that the warning that has come from the likes of the ESRI and the Central Bank about being prudent in the spend now and Sinn Féin have a big package and you've mentioned everything that needs to be done but isn't there a fear that it will lead to an overheating of the economy given where we're at right now? 
Well, if you actually listen to what the ESRI said, they support Sinn Féin in doubling capital investment in housing. They've also uh, uh, published papers on investing in healthcare as well because it's needed. So the choices are we continue with what we have, which is uh, homes which are unaffordable for far too many families. We want 20,000 homes built next year, 12,000 real social public homes yeah. and 8,000 affordable purchasing cost rental. Of, but they're needed. And yes, yes we were, are proposing keep, modest yeah. increases okay. on taxation for those over 140,000 euro a year to pay for it. They are the choices okay. that we as politicians have to make. So they, we either perpetuate the crisis right. in health and housing or we do something okay. about it next well, week in the budget. David, you have a whole sort of a wish list there, something for everybody in the audience. Oh, the National Development Plan was the wish list. Nothing to do with economics. The National Development Plan was the wish list, really. May I suggest, nothing to do with economics, all to do with politics. You know, give the impression that, oh, we, fin, Sinn Féin are squeezing the rich. Uh, you don't want to double investment tax. in housing, well, is that what you're, you're saying? If you're interested in squeezing the rich, you might ask, answer me one Tell question. Tell me which one of our proposals you, you don't question. support. If you're, if you're in, interested in, in squeezing the rich, I'll tell you some of the proposals I don't, Tell I me. don't support. I don't support taking property tax off people who own one million plus houses. That's what Sinn Féin are proposing. If you're really interested in squeezing the rich, why are you proposing that? Because your whole basis is populism. Populism. Votes. Nothing to do with economics. Votes. Uh, on the one hand, this, this is ridiculous. On the one hand, yeah. Willie is saying we want to give money back to the wealthy. On the yeah. other hand, Fine Gael say that we want to tax the wealthy. We have no problem whatsoever in, ha in proposing a solidarity Jennifer, tax for, for, vote, for Jennifer, those who earn over 140,000 euro a year. Fine Gael, think on this. Fine Gael, one... born-again populist. Sorry, you're, 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 I just want to let Jennifer in. That's a bit much coming from Fianna Fáil now, I have to oh, say. Well, now, now, David, you're fairly good at it now, Sinn Féin are fairly good. All Sinn Féin policy can be reduced to one single sentence. Lads, the answer is yes. Now, what was the question? Whatever and your that's problem not true. Is, and the there, are people, yes. there are people listening to this programme who have made up their own minds on uh, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. They see Sinn Féin as the party of change. The, and while Willie's given one example, election, he has not said what away. he would do to solve the housing crisis, what he would do to solve the health crisis, what he would do to reduce the cost of living for families. You've had your chance, you've run out of ideas and you've run out of solutions. Don't be dishonest, David. It's there in black and white for all to see. And we will deliver. And, you know, look... You might be you might be boasting about your opinion poll position or alluding, I never mentioned to, alluding, to, or alluding to I never mentioned it and, 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 and demonstrating it in your attitude here tonight. But remember this much it's when you come to the end of the race, that's when you have to be Okay. Ahead. Jennifer, <coughs> uh, you've been listening to that argument. Um, do you stand with your um, government colleague Willie O'Dea on, on, on the issues that you would have with Sinn Fein and what you're proposing for the budget? Look, I just look at this in the round. I saw, I think it was close to 14 extra tax increases in the budget today, or in your alternative budget today. I just don't see any consistency from Sinn Féin. They want more public services, but they're against local property tax. They want to fight climate change, yes, but they don't want a carbon tax. You know, they want to, uh, you know, more, more tax multinationals more and more, but yet Piers Doherty this morning wasn't supportive of, you know, the transition to 15%. That may have changed during the day. I don't know because I don't know what the, well, most, what, the most popular, so what the most popular position is at any given time. It's just not consistent. Oh, sorry. It's just not. It's just. It's just. It's just not consistent, and that's the difficulty. It's. It's. It, there, there's. You know. We have. Where was it? In the Public Accounts Committee today with the NTMA, we talked about the importance for us being able to borrow internationally, about having a balanced budget. You're talking about borrowing an extra 1.5 billion in addition to what we're already doing. We're trying to bring borrowing back 
so that we're only borrowing for capital expenditures, so that we're getting things back to a stable footing for the next economic shock, whenever that comes, in whatever way. We're a small open economy, we're very susceptible to international changes, as we can see okay. based on our, our, the but, OECD. But what, what Jennifer hasn't done, Sorry, what Jennifer hasn't done, what Jennifer hasn't done. But Please don't interrupt me, David. Oh, we'll finish. So what, I was, what I was just finishing saying was we're very susceptible to ex external shocks. It's important that we take prudent financial management and get things back and invest in the things that we need okay. to invest very long briefly, term. Very briefly, David. What Jennifer on. hasn't done is pointed out what she finds so objectionable in Sinn Féin's budget exactly, for change. Exactly. Uh, but now who's interrupting who? Excuse me, you're right. Uh, what's so objectionable <clears throat> objectionable about asking people who earn over €140,000 a year to pay 3% more on income only okay. in excess of that. And we're consistent when it comes to housing and health and all of those areas where we need okay. investment. Okay. Yeah, we're running out of time on this. Very briefly, last word. Okay. One, I have a problem with you putting up employers' PRSI because it's a tax and on income's jobs. over 100000 I have a problem with you putting up employers' PRSI because it's a tax on jobs. And every single person tonight who's working okay. in a private sector company should be concerned about And income's about over 100000 that's all we have time for on that. My panel are staying with us, though. And after the break, Sinn Féin says the government should not send the Foreign Affairs Minister to a service to mark the centenary of partition in Northern Ireland. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back. Now, the government has released a statement tonight confirming the attendance of two representatives to a special service in Armagh to mark the centenary of partition. The statement reads, The government has today considered the invitation which it received from the church leaders group in Ireland to the service of re reflection and hope which the group is organising in Armagh later this month. In considering the invitation, the government noted that its role in this matter is clearly distinct from that of the president. In that regard, the government reiterates its full support and understanding for the decision made by President President Higgins with regard to his attendance at the event. That decision was quite properly made by the President and was based on concerns that he had consistently expressed. It goes on to say that cognizant of that important distinction and in recognition also of the spirit and intentions of the church leaders organising that event, the government has decided that it will be represented by the Minister for Foreign Affairs and the Government Chief Whip. Now, my panel of Fianna Fáil's Willie O'Dea, Fianna Gael's Jennifer Carroll McNeil and Sinn Féin's David Colnan are still with us. But first, I'm joined live from Belfast by journalist Amanda Ferguson. Amanda, you're very welcome to the show. Um, how is the decision by government to send representatives, Jack Chambers and Simon Coveney, to the event uh, being received? 
Well, I think it's going to be welcome uh, by some people who were quite exercised by this, but uh, it should be made clear that uh, this isn't something that everyone was upset about. A lot of people understood uh, why President Higgins uh, declined the invitation, but I think it's just turned into a really unedifying episode and a really sort of all, um, almighty row that didn't need to happen. I think Northern Ireland's centenary um, it was never something that was going to draw significant cross-community support. Some people want to celebrate it. Some people want to acknowledge it or mark it. Others will tolerate it or ignore it. Uh, some are upset by the by the very mention of it. And, and many people have no interest in it at all. So I think that, you know, the, the, the column inches and the headlines have been filled with this story. Um, some people arguably have said that it's been, you know, excessive in, in, in the aftermath um, of the episode with the with the president. But I think that this should uh, cool uh, matters slightly. Um, and after all, it is a service of reflection. So perhaps everybody can reflect on why it's turned into such a drama. Yeah, the wording around this service has been much analysed in, in, in what it is. Is it a commemoration? Is it a celebration? Is it a, a, a point to reflect on um, 100 years of partition? Um, how is it being viewed up there? Because it's obviously, politically, it's been really hot since um, Michael D. Higgins turned down the invitation and then the likes of the DUP jumped on that. Well, that's the thing, you know, Northern Ireland's centenary was never going to be something that everybody could buy into. You know, for, for many people, it feels almost like a like a grand scale or a fancy kind of 12th of July, that it's not going to be something that everybody wants to participate in. I think there needs to be room for people who want to mark the creation of Northern Ireland, uh, but also there can be reflection for people who want to mark the, the partition uh, of Ireland. And I think that it's been a very challenging um, year so far. It's actually been a, a little bit of a, a disaster around, um, you know, the, the different events and occasions. Like there's been about half a dozen different rows. It's a very northern story. There's been rows about roses and centenary stones and, and how uh, people reflect on it. But I think a lot of people uh, looked upon the invitation that went to President Higgins as an invitation. You know, is it an invitation or is it a demand? Obviously, when you're invited to something, you've got the choice to accept or decline. And I think that the president's uh, record um, in reconciliation and peace building speaks for itself. And I just think it's really disappointing in the two important figures such as President Higgins and the Queen, which mean uh, different things to different people in this part of the world and across these two islands, um, that um, it, they've been drawn into such a sort of uh, political uh, storm and a political row. But certainly, there, you know, my email inbox isn't uh, as filled with as many emails welcoming, uh, you know, Simon Covey's attendance as there was uh, to, to criticise President Higgins for not going. OK, well, that says a lot. Amanda Ferguson, uh, thanks for joining us this evening on that one. Um, Jennifer, I, I want to come to you on this. Do you think that the event was overly politicised, um, an event that was organised by the church, but it, it, there has been so much political heat around it? Politicised by what? Um, just by, by what's happened, the fallout from it, Michael D. Higgins declining that invitation and how it was seized upon, uh, not only by the DUP and parties in the North, as I was saying, um, but also by the likes of John Bruton. I think, to be honest with you, I think it's a, you know, it's a service of reflection and hope organised in good faith by the church leaders. You know, I think it's probably appropriate that um, 
the, um, you know, the Irish government has taken the decision to, to send representatives. I think any time that you're in dialogue with people that you want to build relationships with, that's a good thing. Um, and if you're, you know, you're building relationships, you're building, acknowledging that people have different views about things, that's the only way to step forward into any sort of new state, whether that's the status quo, whether that's a, you know, a different political arrangement. But you know, I saw Colin Eastwood from the SDLP come out tonight and say that he was going and that there was no question that, that this diminished his nationalism by going, that you know, that we wanted to step into the future with hope and that you know, building relationships with people who we were asking maybe to step closer into Ireland and whom we wanted to develop a more positive future with, that, you know, that we had to take those steps. I'm on the Good Friday Agreement Implementation Committee and we want the UUP to participate, the, the Alliance do, Sinn Féin do, um, all of the other political parties except the DUP, even Doug Beattie was there for a period. Now I know he's party leader so he's, he, he hasn't been available since then. But we're asking the DUP to come and join our committee which is based in okay. Leinster House. I, we're asking these difficult things of each other and, and, and we, we do need at some point to step forward together and really be able to talk I, to each other. I, I am wondering though, um, in that government statement, they allude a lot to what Michael D. Higgins decided and saying um, that the government role in this matter is clearly distinct from that of the president. Yes. How is it distinct? Well, because they're separate parts, they're, they're separate entities. The president and the government are, are completely independent and I think that's appropriate. And on this occasion, they've taken different perspectives on something. And the difference in the role okay. in attending this event? The difference in the role is that they, they hold different offices. Um, <coughs> but, they're, but they're allowed to take different positions on different things. That's one of the strengths of the political system is that very independence of each other. Okay, David Cullinan, um, your thoughts on this decision to send Simon Coveney and Jack Chambers to the events in the north? I obviously don't agree. Uh, it's obviously a matter for government and it's a matter for them. First of all, I'm all in favour, obviously, of peace building and reconciliation and dialogue with unionists. We deal with unionists every single day of the week. We sit in an executive with the DUP and UUP and we engage with them on all sorts of issues, which is the right thing to do. We have been engaged in many acts of reconciliation including in the past when Martin McGuinness met the Queen and subsequently with Sinn Féin leaders as well and other things that we have done as well to advance the peace process. So, of course, reconciliation is important. But I'm a United Irelander and I am not going to in any way commemorate the partition and division of my country. I cannot do it. And I know that some people say it's a different type of event, but I think Michael D. Higgins got it right. I think his view on this is right. He took his view. He's entitled to it. The government have taken their view. I think they're wrong. And I don't believe that we who describe ourselves as nationalists and republicans should in any way commemorate what has been an absolute disaster, the partition of our country. That's different by having dialogue because our party chairperson engaged in a debate on partition. So you're okay with debate, but this in I think terms that's, of I think that's um, different because a it's, prayer event is a, is a step too far. I think there's a difference between debate where you can have in an intelligent, respectful, insightful way a debate around partition. We have our view it was a failure. Other people and unionists okay. want to celebrate the foundation of the Northern State. We obviously don't want to do that. In the same okay. way, I wouldn't expect I a unionist to celebrate the 1916 Rising. Right. Uh, Willie O'Dea, should we be going? Well, look, in a word, no. I, I agree with Michael D. I mean, the, the President. Um, you know, I, I have to say I'm disappointed with the decision of the government today. Uh, all the indications were, <clears throat> since yesterday, that they were going to go ahead and send representatives. I, as I say, speaking for myself, I happen to disagree with that. And, uh, 
Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously, I'm obviously, it's obviously going to happen, despite my views. But certainly, it wouldn't be something I'd be doing. And if I, I'm not, as I said earlier, I'm not a member of the cabinet. But if I were a member of the cabinet and I was party to that discussion this evening, I would be speaking against that, and I'd be voting against it if it came to a vote. Yeah, we did hear about Simon Coveney going. Jack Chambers, that's a new addition. What's the feeling within the Fianna Fáil camp on it? Would well, many share your view on it, Willie? Well, I haven't, um, I, I haven't had a chance to consult widely. <laughs> that decision was made literally. I just literally yeah, well, we heard about Cahill it this Crow evening. On, on radio earlier yeah, today well, yeah, on yeah, sharing well, a similar I'd view. Is that the view Well, I'll put it you. I'll put it you this way. I mean, myself and Carl wouldn't be alone in our view on that matter. I would say I haven't canvassed opinion or I haven't done any tallies or anything like that. But I'd say we wouldn't be alone. Do you know, like, I look, the sim I know the symbolism is very, very important, and uh, and it's deep, deep, it's deeply held for so many people. And I, and I, and I don't, not saying it isn't for me, but like my perspective is that we want to try and reach out to people who you don't agree with. Like I remember the very powerful images of Nelson Mandela in 1995 going in the World Cup final in the jersey of the Springboks, yeah. the jersey literally of his jailers, and it was so close afterwards. And to take those step forward, build, try to, to try to build his state and the state of his people in a genuinely to take that step forward to his oppressors, mm. to his jailers, so soon think, afterwards. But there's no way, there's no way that but Nelson the Mandela... Point is, the point is that I'm making is that unless you take steps, you know, to acknowledge and respect, and, 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 and this is one of them, I don't agree with the partition of Ireland, of course I don't, but it is a historical fact, and there are other people, for, you know, it, it, marking it is not an unreasonable I, thing there is, there, in I, reflection I, and hope. That's the language of it. There is, there is no way that Nelson Mandela would have celebrated apartheid. <clears throat> Absolutely no way. And <clears throat> obviously you have to reach out to people in terms of peace building. And as I said, I'm a United Irelander, I want a United Ireland. We can, in a respectful way, engage with unionists. And we do so all of the time. But I don't think that expecting people from an Irish government to in any way take part in an event which okay. could be seen as or is a commemoration of the partition of Ireland, which the vast majority of people in the South see as a failure. I don't see that as peace building. It, do you believe, Willie, it's a... It doesn't diminish your identity, though. I I, I'm not I saying that. Willie, do you believe it's a celebration of partition, that that's what this event is? It's certainly a commemoration of partition, which, in my view, has been an absolute disaster for this country. Uh, like David, I'm a United Islander. I don't... I, I mean, uh, I, I couldn't see Nelson Mandela, for example, celebrating the, the, the apartheid regime in the same way. But, Jennifer, there's dialogue. We're all stretching ourselves. You know, we are all committed to dialogue. We are all working very, very hard. We are all committed to peace in Northern Ireland. Yes. That doesn't mean that we have to participate in something which indicates that we seem to have, in some way, abandoned or softened our beliefs. Okay. Well, look. You know, you've got two sides of government here. Um, what, what's going to happen with it? Do, we, do you just let this go, or do, do, do you move on with it, Willie, and just yeah, hold yeah, those look, views look, and, and three, let it happen? Or do you think party, there should be something it's, done? Look, it's a three-party government, and that means that it, every party, neither every individual or every party, can have their own way on everything. I mean, the government have decided, you know, the two ministers, if they, if they wish to go, let them go. I'm just giving you my view. My what I would say is I'm not in the business of increasing the political heat on this issue. People will make up their own minds. Uh, I've given my view, other people have their view. OK, we'll have to leave it there. My thanks to Willie, Jennifer and David. And coming up after the break, Brenda Power, Mark Ty and Christina Finn join us for our Week in Review.
Welcome back now for our Week in Review. I'm joined by columnist for the Irish Daily Mail and the Sunday Times, Brenda Power, news reporter for the Sunday Times, Mark Tye, and political correspondent with the Journal.ie, Christina Finn. And Christina, fresh tonight is this news that the government intends to send representation to that event um, commemorating partition in the north. Jack Chambers and Simon Coveney are due to go. Um, where does this leave Michael Dee's decision not to go? Yeah, well, the statement from government this evening was very, um, I suppose, complimentary to the president's decision for him not to go, saying that it was very right, that it was his own decision to decline that invite, and that they've reflected on it and decided to send two representatives, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael. I don't know how the Greens perhaps got off the hook with this one. It kind of seems like they're kind of between a rock and a hard place. They were damned if they didn't send someone and damned if they did. There's been a lot of talk about this, and I think they'll be thinking that having sent someone up there when the service is held, that that should be the end of it. But to get themselves into such a debacle over a church service to commemorate something, obviously that is controversial down here, both north and south, but it probably could have been handled a lot better. Yeah, I'm wondering, has this diffused the matter? Because we had Willie O'Dea tonight saying, no, the government shouldn't be going, Jack Chambers shouldn't be going, nor Simon Coveney. Um, that he doesn't agree with it, very much siding with Sinn Féin and the opposition on this. Yeah, I don't think so. Like, you'll, have, you'll have the kind of more Republican side of the political parties, like Willie O'Dea, who thinks this is a big no-no, a taboo subject, that they shouldn't be there. If you're commemorating Northern Ireland, you're commemorating all the bad things about Northern Ireland, the, 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 how Catholics were treated for over 60, 70, 80 years, right up until the Good Friday Agreement. So you, we saw how the commemoration of the RIC blew up uh, with Charlie Flanagan, you know, he, did, he wasn't commemorating the black and tans, but it, because Fianna Fáil politicians um, were st staying away from the commemoration, it blew up into a thing that this is commemorating the black and tans and that, you know, campaign of violence against uh, Irish people uh, over 100 years ago. And it became a huge thing which really, really damaged the Fine Gael-led government. Um, Brenda, Michael D saying no and the government now saying yes. Um, do you think it's important for us to attend such events? You see, I think, you know, when you talk about a commemoration, we're not talking about a celebration. I think they did make that clear. The, 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 the president's position and that of a member of the government are entirely different, and, and the symbolism of their attendance, entirely different. So I would say that the president was right not to go, but equally, in order to diffuse it, hold their nose and send somebody seems to be the, the correct approach, as far as I can see. It was never intended to be triumphalist, and I think it, an absolute mess was made of it by all sides, in the handling of it, in, in, in the, the, the title, of it in the conveying of apparently there were options available early in the year with regard to how it would be addressed and how it would be how it would be titled and it doesn't seem as far as I can see they weren't conveyed or mm. heard or received and that led to the, the president taking the stance he felt he had to take but I think once that was clarified when you had the major church leaders coming out and saying look this was never meant to be triumphalist this was not a celebration there is re grounds for remorse and regret as much as as anything else arising out of this and that's what this was meant to mark so I think I, I think the grown-up decision is probably to send a member of the government well, well, I, well maybe it's it's saying if, if you know if you have your head of state saying no maybe the government felt obliged in this case to, um, to send representation, but we'll see how that plays out. Um, you know, Mark, we had this week, just um, moving on to, you know, COVID still with us, uh, the FAI coming under a lot of pressure over the decision by one player and not to get vaccinated, um, Callum Robinson's decision. And it's emerged that 40% of the Irish squad haven't been vaccinated. 
It's, it's a really high percentage and yeah. it really puts pressure on the FAI, doesn't it? it? It does. It's been a debacle from a PR perspective from the FAI in the run-up to what's a very important match for Stephen Kenny under, in his reign, you're looking for his first win, competitive win, uh, since he took over the job. To send out a player who hasn't been vaccinated and is going to talk about that publicly, the, one of the first kind of professional footballers in England to talk about this, and then not really to explain his rationale or his reasoning for not taking the vaccine. Um, Stephen Kenny then, in a subsequent interview, is kind of you know, <laughs> thrown into the lion's den and like, you know, I know from sources in the FAI there's a kind of a toxic relationship between people in the FAI press office, uh, some people in the FAI press office and Stephen Kenny and the, the, the national team. And you can see that they're not all on the same page. So they shouldn't have put Callum Robinson in that position or if he was going to talk about his vaccination choice that he'd explain it better. And then you have uh, Stephen Kenny alluding to rumours and uh, fake news about viral virility. You know, the, the Nicki Minaj um, story about the cousin that people are talking about is that what has influenced Callum Robinson we don't know in the Premier League it's a huge problem um, I think only seven clubs in the Premier League out of 20 have over 50% vaccination rate so the Irish squad I suppose is, is, is off that you know all our nearly all our players um, except a couple in, it was one in Anderlecht are, are in the Premier League or in the lower leagues so and then you have the rugby boys coming out and saying 99% of us are vaccinated and you know this is where the FBI are trying to rebuild their reputation and get sponsors on board and it's just a, a debacle from a PR perspective. It's interesting perspective. isn't it our compliance compared obviously to, to the UK when you're seeing a, a lot of these players are obviously based um, in the UK and making that decision that we have a very different stance mm -hmm. when it comes to um, getting vaccinated. Well, I know, and I mean, you can't help, you cannot resist the conclusion that it is an education matter. It is a matter of education, that, that, that the, the ignorance that is being perpetuated on social media and online about the vaccine, that people are actually convinced that their five minutes on Google teaches them more than all the best, the world's best epidemiologists. I mean, I've seen it, okay, you, you know, there is an argument that people to, have, that a right, have a not, right not to get but the vaccine. But on the other hand, that's fine if, if, if you know, if your workplace and your, your workmates are happy to work beside you. But these people are, are representing the country and they're also role models. And, and I, I, I have to say I have a serious problem with, with these people being allowed to continue playing for the national side. Right, so you don't think if you're not vaccinated you shouldn't be playing? Don't think so. Right, OK. Um, you know, going back to matters political this week, and we had a lot of fanfare, as we do every time a national development plan is launched, in fairness, yeah. a huge amount of money. Um, but the criticism, yet again, this is old news repackaged. And then we had um, a Fianna Fáil TD very unhappy about some promises that he said he was given um, with regard to roads in his neck of the woods down in East Cork. Yeah, well, I believe James O'Connor has met with the Taoiseach or had a discussion with them and seems happy enough to stay within the party this oh, evening. Oh, really? Um, he, he seems to have some sort of, um, you know, commitment that they're going to work towards his projects. But this is the whole thing with this National Development Plan. I was at the press conference, got the four or five booklets that they hand out to you, flick through them to look for the, you know, the main page of what they're going to do. And it was a lot of flowery language, a lot of this is what we'd like to do, this is all our, our intentions, a lot of things that have been announced before. And again, lack of commitment on timelines and, and costings. And that just really leaves a bad taste in a lot of people's mouth in terms of what this plan actually means and what it hopes to achieve. You know, obviously everyone has a wish list of, what, of things they'd like to do when they're in government, but I, I just don't think this one landed very well with and that all. It was, it was the lack, it was the sort of TBCs and the lack of detail that turned it from a grand plan into that 
phrase that this is in fact a, a wish list, Mark. Yeah, when you've seen uh, projects, you know, that are, have been originally announced nearly 20 years ago, like Metro North, and uh, you know, really woolly language about, oh, we might have, we might have this by 2034, or you know, no firm commitments. Then when they launched the plan on Monday, reheating old news, and you have uh, you know, parish pump politics coming out where James O'Connor, you know, hasn't made a great mark on national politics, and here he is, you know stamping his feet and making sure he gets his local bypasses so it's um, easy easy um, points to, for the opposition to score. Another big one uh, just today confirmed a bit of a landmark day our corporation tax that we've lauded for so many years is getting all this business into the country and keeping us afloat um, has finally um, changed and, and been forced essentially to move up to 15% but there's a united front on this one there's a lot of consensus that's kind of the line they had to play. Yeah they had to I mean we were it was that or, or, or remain as we were once described the wild west of Europe. But I just was listening to an expert this evening talking about the difference between the effective rate and the nominal rate. The nominal rate, okay, will go from 12.5 to 15%. But in fact, the companies that are currently paying 12.5 are probably paying the effective rate with all the loopholes and the, ex yeah. the, the allowances that they're entitled to, 2.5%. So this will mean possibly an extra fraction of a percentage on what they're actually paying. Um, and, you know, I suppose it will give a chance, if, if, the, if this was ever a factor in it, to see just the extent to which our, our, our well-educated workforce were an element in drawing all these companies and here. And of course, Christina, no one's talking about, um, you know, the fact that globally we were seen as a tax haven. Yeah, for you know, uh, today there was a lot of reeling in the years moments about how um, wonderful this has been and how important it has been and, 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 and how it had a place. But in recent years, certainly it's been viewed pretty poorly, especially in the US. Yeah, particularly when that's been put to, to ministers time and time again over the years, they're very adamant that now they're they're compliant, there's there's nothing to see here. And time and time again, they always defend the 12.5% tax rate. It's just, it used to be a question that you knew the answer you were going to get over the last 10 years. And now it's just, it's amazing to see some of those same ministers come out and say that this is actually, you know, this this is a great idea. And we've had this, this has always been the plan all along. And, you know, I think people would be concerned to hear that there's possibly a two billion um, hole could be left in the exchequer from this. And words saying, we just don't know where this is going to land. I think that would be, you know, well, I think that was going to happen. People. Sorry, Mark. I, I think the, the, the reason for that whole, you know, when. Uh, you know, supposedly we should be bringing in more tax is due to the restructuring of the entire tax you know, mm. system. It'll mean that the market countries will get more tax, which means the countries with a bigger market for Google okay. or Facebook will get more tax, which we previously pocketed. Before I go, um, just to talk about a big story this week, and that's just the focus on the, the violence against women. Um, and I know that, that you're going to write about it, Brenda, just in regard to the conviction of Daniel Murtagh for the murder of Nadine Lott. And a lot of attention, really, on, on a series of, of various you know, murders and crimes we've heard about in the UK and here mm -hmm. against women in a very brutal fashion. Well, I mean, in the last two weeks there, we've had two cases, very similar cases of women brutally murdered by their partners. And we don't take domestic violence seriously enough here. There was a case about two months ago where a man was, was convicted of a very, very violent assault on his wife, 18 months suspended sentence. And, you know, 
it's only recently, it's only in the last couple of months that the, that, that the life tariff, the, the period after which you can apply for parole, was extended from seven years in this country to 12. I mean, when you think about it, even 12 years, say take Daniel Murtis' sentence, that's backdated to December 2019, which means effectively in 10 years' time, that girl's family will have to endure the possibility, a, a remote one, I would say, but still the possibility that he could qualify for parole. So, I mean, as far back as 2012, there was a call for minimum tariff sentencing, which we don't have here, which they do have in the UK. In other words, that the judge, in particularly heinous cases, should be able to say, right, you're going to jail for 25 years. In the, you remember the, 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 um, the, oh, the beautiful girl who was killed in Australia, um, the Irish girl, uh, she, she got, her killer got 40 years. So civilised countries, civilised countries with good, strong human rights uh, records can, can operate this and we should be able to do so too. Yeah, Jill Maher, that was the girl. Jill Maher, yeah. that, that's, that's who it was. And the victim impact statement, of course, and Nadine Lott's mother, um, Claire, struck a chord with everyone right around the country. Well, look, that is it from us. My thanks to all of our guests. The programme is available as a podcast. Our next news is on Ireland AM tomorrow morning from all the late team here. Good night. Take care. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series.